0: Hi, I'm Ellis Hall. Welcome to the Sustainable Direct Podcast. I am Head of Carbon Partnerships at Future Net Zero and the Sustainability Ambassador for the Institute of Directors of North Yorkshire region. In this podcast series, we're talking to businesses up and down the country about sustainability, what it means to them, how they're empowering other business to become more sustainable. In this episode, I speak with Rich Kenny, Rich is the Sustainability and Research Director at Techbuyer and Interact. Now, Techbuyer refurbish old hardware, ICT hardware, and Interact is a very new, innovative machine learning startup that helps businesses that run data centers or have multiple servers become more efficient. And they've got an incredibly interesting story, Rich is an incredibly passionate guy and in this episode we'll hear more about what they're doing and how they are supporting businesses across the UK
1: and across the world.
0: Rich, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you getting on?
1: Yeah, good mate, good, really good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm really interested in hearing what you've got to talk about today or getting into some of the detail around technology and um, and what Interact and Tech Buyer are doing. So I guess diving straight into that, what is it that, you actually do, what is it that you look at and um, I guess why is sustainability so important to the organisation that you work for?
1: Yeah, so I, I kind of wear two hats. So I run the research and sustainability teams at Buyer, and Buyer is a circular economy focused IT reseller. So we focus on refurbishment, remanufacture and effective recycling of enterprise ICT generally, so server storage networking. And then the other side of that is um, I run our machine learning startup which is focused on carbon reduction and energy efficiency in server estates for data centers and enterprises. So there's two aspects of it, I guess. There's the embodied cost on the actual creation of assets that we're trying to have an impact on. And then there's the use phase, which primarily is scope two based, which is looking at how can we optimize our IT to be the most carbon and energy efficient that it can be. So there's two aspects of it, but they're both pretty much pieces of the same coin.
0: Yeah, so they're both massively focused on sustainability, aren't they?
1: yeah 100%. So we're looking we're looking realistically at how do we extend product life effectively and then when we're using products how do we make the best of the products we're using so they're the most effective for our planet uh, and our and our businesses during that that life cycle stage how do we extend that life cycle to keep them useful for longer uh, and then like you said then at the end of that how do we dispose of them in the most effective manner that allows us to recover the most about materials possible and have the least environmental impact
0: so that's tech buyer isn't it that's the hardware side of things
1: yeah that's right yeah yeah and then the interact piece is our sister company machine learning startup focused on the energy efficiency piece and that is really really cutting edge analytical data on how to optimize configurations for hardware how to optimize your facilities and estates to make sure that the hardware you're using is the best it can possibly be on energy efficiency per unit of compute so that it can do the most work for the least amount of energy and that has massive massive savings environmentally in the in the tons and tons of carbons and the, the thousands of, of the millions of megawatts of energy so yeah kind of attacking it from two ends really production and dis- production use and disposal and then how you can be most efficient in every single one of those areas.
0: So that's how, I mean let's touch on what you've spoken about in terms of interact because this is your you know your new startup. And you mentioned machine learning there, which for a lot of people, me included, it's very complicated and it often goes over people's heads. So what is Interact? Obviously, is it a piece of software that people plug in? How does it actually work? What is it? What is the aim of this software, really?
1: Yeah. So Interact is is actually just a company that has a series of different softwares that we've all created. And they combine that with a lot of very high level knowledge and some excellent people such as sort of Astrid Wynn, who's a chartered environmentalist, such as Nora Teal, who's, who's one of our head of development. These are people that are very, very committed to sustainable decision making, embedding that within businesses. And they're the sort of people that are providing the consultation services on the back of the analysis. But, but in a nutshell, I guess the product is fed by an awful lot of data to allow us to, to make very clear and accurate recommendations on optimizing hardware within data centers. So we're able to look at every make, model, configuration, generation and find what's best for a customer. And you know the savings in energy are 85% plus sometimes. So there's, there's significant room for improvement.
0: So, and would that be, in terms, you mentioned data centers, could any business do this? And would they look at computers and things that they're using? Or is it purely to focus on that? The server side of things?
1: So, Interact's entirely focused on the server side. So, that's looking at data centers, enterprise businesses, anyone that has multiple servers. But well, if you think that servers generate about 1% of the world's emissions, yeah, and data centers use about 1% of the world's emissions, we're talking about a potential impact that is massive, like massive, massive carbon reduction opportunities, massive critical raw, uh, critical raw material reduction. The impact we can have by addressing servers is almost comparable the impact you could have by optimizing airlines to the same state in regards to the amount of carbon that they're generating so these are these are huge huge opportunities
0: i read that recently that it could go up to two percent in terms of the whole of the ict kind of infrastructure that we've got which is on the level playing field with aviation so it's massive and with the increase in everyone becoming digital people are moving more digital and that's likely to continue through the 20s, through the 30s. We're going to need more of this sort of bandwidth, you know, optimising our estates in terms of data because we're coming, becoming so data hungry.
1: Yeah. And also, if you think about the number of people that have access to the Internet right now or the number of Internet connected devices, you know, we kind of sit there and think, well, you know, the whole world's on the Internet and that's OK. And so, well, less than sort of 65 percent of the world has access to the Internet. There's, there's whole continents like Africa that have such low connectivity that the next stage to drive their social development and create opportunities in those regions is, is probably going to be through digitization. So we're looking at sort of like the you know, digitization of Africa is going to bring a billion more people online. By the time you look at the impacts of smart cities and uh, Internet of Things, connected devices, automation technologies like driverless cars and things like that, the, the consumption of data is only going to substantially increase over the next short term and long term. And the efficiencies that we were seeing in the early sort of 90s and 2000s, in regards to Moore's Law and the effect, effectiveness and efficiency of compute, those gains are becoming much more incremental than transformational. So, this now is becoming so crucial to look at because it is going to be a rising number. And the impacts, the positive impacts, are massive. Like, digitalization underpins all 17 of the United Nations SDGs. So every single one of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals have an aspect of digitalization to enable those changes. So these, this is a massive driver for good is the digital economy and digital transformation. But if we don't do it in the most effective way possible, we are building up reams of environmental debt that is probably avoidable if we're just a bit smarter about how we do it.
0: Yeah, so, so you're saying in that sense that we've had big efficiency gains through improving technology, but that improving technology, those efficiency gains are actually going to reduce and become a lot smaller. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean I won't say they're they're reducing, but the the rate of transformation is not going to be quite as as drastic. You know, yeah, it used to be that every, though, isn't
0: it?
1: yeah exactly. It used to be that Moore's law was like every two years you'd you double in you know double in performance or half in size. Well Moore's law, we kind of disproved that in 2015 that was no longer happening for CPUs and we, we published in the IEEE around this at Techbuyer. And that was kind of a cutoff point. And that, it might restart again. It might be that Moore's law might become transformational again in the future. But we've, we've had a seven-year lull where it's just not been the case, in which case, you know, there's other things that are becoming transformational, like data transference from 4G to 5G and from 3G to 4G. You know, these are, these are like three times more efficient network protocols. So we are making great strides in a lot of areas. But there's just so much low-hanging fruit that's room for improvement that all businesses can be taken advantage of. And for me, I think the big one is embracing the circular economy and, and moving away from a, a use and throwaway culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big one. And I think that we can jump into what you guys are really doing at TechBuy because you guys have been operating for how many years now is it?
1: So TechBuy has been going since 2005. So Kev started the business 17 years ago. Yeah,
0: and you've always focused on
1: refurbished hardware right? Yep refurbished and remanufactured yep that's the that's the two real key components of our business. So do you, you get
0: computers and I'm generalizing hardware in terms of computers so yeah, yeah. people kind of kind of understand uh, but this is across the board all ICT hardware and you take it from a business and effectively clean it up add any new bits to it or not just get it into a better shape, and then resell it onto another business that's interested in taking it?
1: Yeah, fundamentally, we we're talking about product, product life extension. So what we're doing is someone's used it for their, its first life at that point. We would then bring it in, refurbish it to factory condition. So it's not a matter of like, you know, we give it a polish and then send it on its way. It comes out, we retest it, we data sanitize it in line with the ICO's recommendations, you know, there's a huge piece around decommissioning IT equipment where there's an awful lot of standards that need to be adhered to if you're doing it properly around safe data handling and, you know, rules around sort of GDPR and things like that. So we're talking about full sanitization and then cosmetic work on it to make it look as, you know, as good as it kind of came out its first box in a lot of cases. In some cases, not so much. In some cases, cosmetics don't matter certainly with sort of like some server hardware chassis. It's gone out of a rack. It's got a couple of scratches on. It's going to go straight back in another rack and no one's going to look at it for another three years. There's, there's not a whole lot of value in polishing that rack, but certainly uh, polishing that server, I should say, but certainly with like peripherals and end user devices like laptops and desktops, you, know, you want it to be as close to as new condition as it can be cosmetically, but then functionally, it's always as brand new. So functionally, it's going to have the same performance that it had when it first came out of the box, Uh, And that's exactly right. So you're taking it from that first use, they're they're done with it, but it's got so much available life and so much available performance left that someone else is going to pick up an absolute steal. And
0: and like touching on that, what is typically, I know this is how long the piece is drink and how (laughs) you use it and what use, but what is the in a business that you're seeing, what's an average lifespan of a computer or a laptop?
1: Yeah, a laptop's a great example because a laptop tends to be sort of used for sort of three years and then if it's on like a lease for example it'd be three years and it goes back and they used to get rid of it most businesses still kind of have that mindset of refreshing every like two to three years but laptops are generally good for sort of seven to ten years really and it's just a matter of then moving it through the environments of where it still has its maximum and optimal functional sort of life cycle so if you're doing high compute work for example and you're doing really you know cutting edge graphical work on a a laptop or desktop then latest and greatest may be necessary. And you may be looking at three-year refresh cycles, but that can then move down through other organizations where it's a significant upgrade on what they've already got, even though it's you know, no longer fit for you know, graphics rendering or high compute work, but it's wicked for running most applications. It's going to have another seven to 10 years left on it for most businesses. And it's going to be way more than they need even for that period of time. So it's about understanding the capabilities of the equipment and then applying that to the business rather than just let's buy new, let's buy new. So
0: your recommendation actually to businesses really could be, if you've got computers, rather than trading them out, is bring them to a company like you, and can they then get them back so you could actually just do the full refurb for them?
1: Yeah, that's, that's an option. That's something we can do. Um, you know, that's one of our products I like if our laptop refresh system, where we, we can come in, analyse what's, what's good about the equipment, maybe double the RAM or switch out components that could be more efficient and then reintroduce that back to the, the business. But, you know, also with stuff like laptops, a lot of IT teams could do this internally in their own businesses. There's, there's plenty of really good material online around, like, you know, iFixit and stuff on how to put RAM in. So it might be that someone would come to us at TechBuyer and we would advise them on uh, what a good RAM option might be for an upgrade of their systems, and just sell them that component, and they'd get another three years out of their own product. So rather than spending seven quid on a new laptop, they'd spend thirty quid on some brand new RAM, and that would get them the same benefits, pretty much, as buying a new one.
0: And really, this is, yeah. really, I guess, it's fundamental to what you're trying to push. It's you know, it's kind of at the heart of your organisation with TechBuyer, isn't it? The sustainability and that circular economy is something that all businesses need to be considering and especially around uh, some of the components because have you found difficulty with the pandemic and being able to obtain certain components
1: we're completely the opposite like we have such a diverse and creative supply chain that when everyone else is having these chip shortages we've we've you know we've never had more stock We've never we've never done better on sourcing for our customers because we've always been creative. Most customers will say, "I like, I'll buy straight from the OEM," and then they've got they've got problems. They can't you know source the chips. They can't do the work. But one of the key things in being a a robust supply chain for a supplier like TechBuyer is creativity in your purchasing options. So we've we've had no issues with equipment shortages. Like we are doing absolutely fine with getting hold of equipment because we just try so many different ways to get it for our customers. So we we never let customers down on this stuff. So it's been the complete opposite for us to be honest. And we we carried out some market research within the pandemic, where people came to us and bought refurb for the first time because they couldn't get hold of their traditional new equipment. And eighty percent became returning customers when they could get new, because once they'd used it, they just they couldn't understand why they would pay more for new when they didn't when they didn't need the latest and greatest. When they do, you know, you know they can get they can get new from us as well because we understand that sometimes you need that that most recent technology but in 99% of cases you don't you just need to get the right configuration and the right the right understanding of your business to get the right sort of equipment into into that role Uh, and that's what we're great at that's what we've always been tremendous at is identifying those opportunities for someone to make their budget go further
0: and I guess people need to kind of consider this from you know like you've said we don't always need new you don't need the you know the nicest the shiniest you need the one that's going to be most effective for your business yeah so thinking about businesses let's say as a director of a company that was looking at this because again this is new knowledge what would your recommendations for someone that's looking to replace their computers or looking to kind of redo their servers
1: i think the key thing would always be what's the driver like, is this because your procurement team has said, "Well, we always buy every three years," or are you—is it approaching the point where it's having a business impact on performance? So, if you're—if you—you know—if you've got customers who, who are saying, "Oh, you know, your, your equipment's not as fast as we need when we're trying to run systems," or you know, your SaaS application isn't as responsive as we'd want, or, or anything like that, for example, then you need to address those. But if you're not having any performance issues and you can't see any performance issues, and you know, you're, you're monitoring your equipment and looking at what's happening. What you'll tend to find is a lot of businesses have bought like the latest and greatest three years ago, and they're still only using like 25 or 30% of its capabilities. And they're going to then refresh to new and use that to 8% of its capabilities out of the box. And within a three year time scale, they're not even going to be at 25, 30% of what it can do. So I'd be looking at it going, well, if you're using the stuff at 20%, why are you refreshing? You need to look at this and say, why are you doing this? If it's impacting performance and it's impacting business, then you need to. You need to be looking at a transformation piece. You need to be looking at a procurement piece. But you need to be looking at what your drivers are. Why are you doing this? And if it's because your IT team say, oh, we always just buy new every three years, that's not an acceptable business case, I don't think, because that's just you're just throwing money away and you, you're removing perfectly good equipment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that makes complete sense. And I think that any kind of person, even across the business, whether you own a business, whether you work in the business, you wanna do what right for the business. Yeah. So there's a lot of considerations with this. And one thing I did wanna touch on is where does carbon fit into it? Because if we're optimizing, obviously we're hopefully gonna lower the cost of the energy that we're using and hopefully reduce carbon there. But in terms of from a tech buy's perspective, do these computers that let's say you get in second hand, will they run as efficiently as let's say a newer computer?
1: So in condition is, we did loads of research into this, just to be clear, but condition is completely irrelevant as long as it's been refurbished appropriately. So the same equipment, new and refurbed, has the same performance. So that same PC that you bought brand new three years ago, if you bought it from us today and it was refurbished, it would be as good as the one you bought three years ago. The, the only difference is if you're moving generationally. So like if you bought the latest and greatest, you probably can't get that refurbished just yet yeah so if you need that level of performance that's what you have to go with but yeah the, what's interesting is that electrical components don't degrade over time so we have this concept in, in remanufacturing refurbishment that we treat it a bit like cars where you go well, you've had a car for three years and you need to replace you know x amount of components that's because it's a moving vehicle that has you know there's friction is is, is part of it and it's going to there's going to be wear and tear on the actual mechanical components within say an engine that isn't the case with electrical components they don't have wear and tear in the same way and I always think that's really interesting because we class stuff like you know secondhand means it's used it's beat up it's whatever that's just really not true with electrical equipment now it might well be true with a car but people seem really content to buy a secondhand car and understand that you know there is a need to potentially carry out some upgrades on that to make it do what they want it to do but you don't see many people buying a new car because It doesn't drive fast enough, but it doesn't doesn't have a top speed of 200 miles an hour. And the new ones have 210 miles an hour when you drive it at 70 all the time. Do you know what I mean? So people buy these secondhand cars because they make sense financially. By the time you've cleaned it up and you're ready to use it again, it's new for you for the first time. But you'd expect it to run as good as it did when it first came out, right? Yeah. And that, that, I think, is the expectation you should have with the IT equipment where you go, well, I don't need to buy new, but I should expect it to perform as well as if I had. And that is a very fair expectation for customers, and that's something that—that's the education piece, and that's the, the bit we need to provide that clarity and certainty on that it's going to perform as well as new.
0: So it's almost like you need to give your
1: computer an MOT if we relate it Hundred percent, hundred percent, because chances are that your your PC can run at it can run at seventy miles an hour for another fifteen years, and that's what you need it to do. But if you're if you need a race car and you need the fastest engine that's ever come out, then you need to buy the supercar and you need to buy the, the one that's just come out and you need to get yeah. that and that, that's a very unique use case right it's like formula one versus everybody else
0: yeah
1: you know and that's that's the same with it everyone thinks they need to you know to drive the red bull car but realistically you just need a clio
0: yeah absolutely you know it does the same job at the end of the day doesn't it
1: yeah and, and sometimes better <laughs> yeah and
0: the majority of people that are using computers are only using the basics within the computer anyway, running Microsoft Word, Excel, running a few software platforms. They're not kind of pushing it to where it needs to. Yeah, um, so it's not exactly right. But one of the things you did touch on, in fact, one of the things you did touch on was the research side of things, which I think is really interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not many other businesses out there that are doing what Interact is doing. And I'm, when I mean not many, they're not any.
1: No, there's none. Absolutely none. And it's worth it's worth saying that with TechBuy as well. There's no businesses out there that are doing the sort of research that TechBuy is doing in its research team as well. So I, I kind of combine those two businesses when it comes to the the, the knowledge piece because they both you know they, a they both sit under me, so they both have the same approach. But we also you know it's this it's a cultural thing that we we want to be right and we as in when we're saying something we want it to be right, accurate, and transparent. So if we're saying that this is okay, this is how you use refurbishment, this is how you save carbon, this is what the numbers look like, I have to put my reputation into that, and as does the business. And if we're we as a business are, are, are saying this is true, then we need to validate that. Which is why I kind of like I'm a bit funny about white papers because white papers when they're published are like seen as thought leadership, but they're fundamentally marketing. Our approach at TechBuyer has been like if you've got something to say and you're doing truly innovative research and pioneering research which interacts and tech buyer are, then you need to academically have that verified. So you need to go to the IEEE or El Selvier or G-Cost or any of these other leading academic journals and have people who have no skin in the game look at the work you've done and the conclusions you're drawing and say, yeah, this is right. And have no agenda other than advancing the knowledge in this area. And that's something that we at Tech Buyer Interact are unmatched in in this field. You know, we in the in the last three years, we'll have published six times in academics conferences and journals as a business, um, that, that doesn't happen.
0: That, uh, yeah, like you said, there's not many, unless they're academics that are specifically writing and they're teaching this, there's not many businesses that will be writing in academic journals that will be getting peer-reviewed multiple times before they get published to say that this is valid research. And what's good about, I guess, the research is then you're implementing that research direct into a practical application at the workplace.
1: And into our product, into our refurbishment and into our education piece, because like, like you said, Alice, a lot of people don't know this is an option. They don't know they can manage their IT better. And one thing they're therefore lacking is confidence to make those decisions. So what we do is we go out there and we produce incredible research that's very well cited for us to say you can trust what we're saying. And hopefully that'll allow them to make a decision they otherwise potentially wouldn't feel comfortable making. And then once they've made that decision, they very rarely change, you know, change their opinion or change their mind after having moved to refurb or, or anything like that. But the, yeah, the research itself is it's something I get really excited about because I just think it's, it's so interesting for a business that has such a great reputation like we do at TechBuy around sustainability to not only join the conversation and be an advocate for it, but to actually lead it in a lot of areas and produce products on the back of it that can have you know huge huge world impact and changing changes and that, that gets me out of bed in the morning if I'm honest that makes me really excited.
0: And I can tell Rich by the way that you talk about it it's always really interesting to hear you speak and there's always something new coming out of your mouth when discussing sustainability every time that we've spoken and I think what's great is this research you have always touched on you don't have a master's degree in engineering which is obviously where it's focused or you don't have a PhD in engineering and sustainability sustainable engineering but This is now starting to be recognised as not long ago, about an hour ago, I saw a post on LinkedIn from you about where this has been recognised now and the importance of this. So do you want to just talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so thanks, But That's actually really cool. Um, So I've just been appointed as a visiting research fellow at London South Bank University in their School of Engineering. So this is very, very rare for someone in industry without that sort of background to to be going in there and saying, can you help our phd students can help our, our postgrads can you help our undergrads understand what research really looks like in industry and it's, it's a real honor like it's mad if you think that like I, I didn't have the grades to go to university when i left school and now i'm going to be in there lecturing doctors on how to do research properly in this area and it's because it's such an emerging field and we do at tech such a super job and we're only allowed to do that because of, of people like kev who support this who run the business and like i said the teams we've got with sort of nor cat steve Uh, and astrid without these people without that great chunk of people who are super passionate about this those opportunities would never be available for someone from industry to to go you know world leading university like london south bank and contribute to their educational programs to to say this is how you research this is what sustainable it looks like this is you know this is now part of your engineering curriculum is to learn from people like myself and from tech and from interact and that's I think that's really exciting I think that's like a a massive step change in education higher education to embrace cutting-edge information.
0: Yeah absolutely it's that innovation isn't it coming out of your offices and your warehouses and with the people that you're working with that are going to be leading the future of sustainable ICT which is incredibly important so what we're going to be seeing over the next 5, 10, 15 years is going to be some of the work that your guys are ultimately researching today. And hopefully you will span some or inspire some new ideas and new innovation from London South Bank University and the doctors that are, that are studying this.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's the dream, if I'm honest. And I've got, I've got Deborah Andrews, who's my advocate down there. And Deborah Andrews is, um, is a professor of, of engineering and she specialises in sort of ICT and design, really, in regards to like the actual construction of, of materials and forensic analysis, things like that she's a, she's a, like a world leader on critical raw materials and you know the, the social and environmental impact of of ICT construction And she leads the Sadasi project which is an interreg funded project that we also consult on so it's, it's really cool to work with people like Deborah and have those advocates in education saying you can come in and help us here like this is an area where you are an expert come in and let's try and get these people ready to to change the world when they come out of uni and that, that's cool man like There's not many times you can go to go go to work and be like, let's try and help some people, you know, make the world better for everybody. And that's that's what drives certainly drives myself. And it's certainly something that the business is super, super interested in is how do we help people make better decisions? And that can, you know, traditionally that's businesses. But if we can inspire the younger generation and future employees and future researchers to to drive knowledge forward in this area, like we can hopefully solve a lot of very pertinent environmental issues just through applying you know, super intellects to it. And that's that's so exciting to me.
0: And it is so important. I think with the sustainability space, people will look at it and say, we're becoming more sustainable and try to use it as a competitive advantage for a very short period of time until that knowledge gets to their competitors. But I think with this, it is about the importance of educating everybody. We're not going to achieve what we need to achieve in the next 28 years if we don't all work together. So the fact that you've got the ability to share that information with what you're doing far and wide, hopefully it'll inspire other companies across the world to kind of consider what you're doing and see if there's a, a role that they can play in ensuring that the ICT
1: space is a lot more sustainable tomorrow than what it is today. 100% man. And also like, I, I mean, put on a personal level, like I feel hugely let down by government's approach, not just ours, but many governments approach to, how they're dealing with this crisis and with these issues. So my view is that very much it's either going to be grassroots or businesses that change the world in the right way. And you have to play your part in that. And you have to take personal responsibility for that. Like I always, I always reference because I've got a little boy, he's three and a half. And it's like, if I don't leave the world better than I found it, then I have massively failed him. And I will not have him grow up in a world where he doesn't have the same choices that I had because there's a finite amount of resources or because we've got temperatures that have risen, which means his decisions are impacted by the decisions that we make right now. And if as a business and as a person and as a, a leader in, in this space, if I can't drive that change and I can't take personal responsibility for that, then I am a massive failure as a parent. And I, and I just won't let that happen. I won't let that be something that, that happens on my, on my watch. And I know that hundreds of people that work at TechBuy feel the exact same way. But these, these are people are like we are going to do something good today to make the world a little bit better for what comes next. And I think if you're not taking that personal responsibility, then you're letting everybody down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would like to say I don't think you'll be a failure of a parent if you, you know, don't get. But the fact that you've got that mindset that you want to achieve something good for future generations is key because there's a lot of people that have got the same mindset but there's too many that also don't. So the fact that you're taking that on your own shoulders is, is obviously good to hear. And, you know, these kids of the future will grow up with technology surrounded by them. So it's really important for them to understand these things as well, though, isn't it? Like understand how to handle electric waste and what to do with it to ensure that it has the best lifespan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a really cool project that like we do with schools where we go into schools and we call it demystifying tech. And my my environmental lead, Astrid, she's super passionate about this demystifying tech, especially around like young girls, where it's like flip. She's she's obsessed with it, and I think it's a great thing to be obsessed about, which is flipping the lid and not being scared to look at what is powering most of your day to day. Like you know, don't be scared to open up your laptop and, and and see what's inside and change the components, and don't be scared to ask questions because All this stuff, technology is just an enabler for us to do great things. But if we're scared of the hardware and we're scared of the physical assets that underpin our digital experiences, like, I think we're going to find ourselves unwilling to ask questions because we're scared of, oh, it's tech, it's it's scary, or it's tech, it's not for me. It's, you know, I'm not good with technology. These kids that are growing up with tech are growing up with potential like the metaverse and IoT and, and like automation, they're growing up with this. But if they don't understand the physical components of that and we don't help them do that, then I think we're probably setting up to fail a little bit because they'll understand one layer and possibly not one of the more important layers as well. They'll be great users, but not potentially great innovators.
0: Yeah, and we need people to understand it to ensure, like you've quite rightly touched on, to ensure that the lifespan of these devices is extended as far as it can be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, e-waste is one of the largest climbing waste streams in the world. And, it, and the problem for us is that we, not for us as a, as a business, at tech buyer, but us as a planet, is that we tend to shift that externality to, um, that's the economist in me there, I think, uh, the externality <laughs> to another region. So, you know, a lot of our e-waste ends up in Africa for them to sort yeah. and deal with. And that's because we don't want to deal with it here. And we also don't have the technologies to, to reclaim as many of the materials that we need, like the tungsten, the tantalum, you know, the magnesium, all the the zinc. We don't recover all these critical and crucial raw materials that we need that sit in ICT and we try and make it someone else's problem. And I think that, you know, that lack of ownership is a problem as well. And I'd like to see legislation that penalises us as a country more for shifting that externality. And I think that would hopefully lead to better decision-making and better understanding as well.
0: Because you talked about some of the precious metals that are within our machines ultimately all those resources are finite so
1: eventually we're going to run out right yeah and some of them are ridiculously finite like 20 years and stuff and my favorite so you ask anyone like the business i always go on and on about tantalum so tantalum is like a coating that you tend to find in phones that basically allow high compute materials to not generate a ton of heat so it's like a type of shielding and tantalum is like super rare super super rare And every time you throw away a computer or a mobile phone or something, you lose it and you never recover it. It's not technically possible to recover tantalum or or tungsten from, from a lot of these technologies. So IT has 23 of the 30 world's largest critical raw materials in every single piece of ICT across the range. So 23 of the 30 most critical raw materials on the planet sit in ICT. And on recycling and recovery, we pick up maybe one or two of them back. Like maybe the steel, maybe the gold, sometimes things like the you know, palladium and, and occasionally like the, the nickel and stuff. But the cobalt that's a, a, you know, a, a casing for hard drives, for example, that cobalt only comes from two places. It comes from, I know, realistically, only two places, There's a few other amounts, but generally it's Chile or Democratic Republic of Congo. And actually the extraction of those materials the extraction of cobalt has a huge social impact. You know, there's an awful lot of human right uh, violations that go on in these mines for the reclamation of cobalt. You know, there's a lot of child labor, there's human slavery issues. So there's a whole social impact of us pulling these materials out of the world. And then we use them for two years and throw them away. So it's like we have this massive, massive social impact on critical raw materials mining. It then goes into the IT with the associated carbon costs of both the mining and the actual creation. And then at end of life, we use a phone for two years, which is good for seven throw it away and waste all that effort that time and that human misery basically for no for no really good reason if i'm honest because you know because your phone contract says you get a new one and it's got a slightly bigger camera and i think that level of consumerism when you think that you know that's a kid's hands that's been burnt to like pull those materials out of the world maybe you think twice about the fact that you need a new iphone maybe your that you've got could do another year or another two years i think if you knew the human cost of what goes into your equipment you'd maybe think twice about whether or not you want to throw it away
0: absolutely and I think obviously there's loads that we could discuss within that you know that conversation could go on forever and you know talking about the social impact if we could actually understand what the social impact of our purchases were would that actually drive our decision making as well same with what we're doing with carbon we're looking at the carbon now and we're addressing the environmental impact we've kind of very high level businesses look at social impact but if we really knew social impact the same ways in which we're trying to address carbon in terms of a life cycle would that change and would that drive better business making and again you touched on their consumerism and capitalism two major things that are driving this economic or this fantasy of economic growth as Greta quite rightly put when she did a, a talk and until we change that, companies are still going to be driven by creating a new phone with a slightly different camera. And then next year, out. when actually they've probably got the next five to 10 releases ready to go that they could put into one phone. But instead, they're going to drag it out over the next 10 years to ultimately generate profit. And it's all focused, unfortunately, on the profits, not the social and environmental well-being of the people that are impacted
1: yeah I think that's a huge piece we talk about ESG we talk environmental social governance and I think the one thing that we're missing and I get that it's hard as well the one thing we're getting is understanding the impact of our decisions and that's that's you know harking back to the research that's what we're trying so hard to do is to put the actual cost of an item in front of people rather than just its physical price tag because you're saying go this is nine pounds but it's also you know 45 ounces of human misery to create this do you know what I mean it's it's a, it's a ton of carbon. Like if you understood the actual impact of your decision-making, I think we could help change minds. But when everything is driven by the conversation around price, then that reduction of, of like you said, of, of economic driver for growth, when we just talk about pounds, we don't really understand the true cost of what we're buying and what we're selling, neither businesses nor consumers. So what I would love to see is a transparency around what the actual combined cost of an asset is. And how you can reduce that from a social, environmental and, you know, cost point of view. And that's that's for me what sustainability is. Right. Like looking at everything to decide if I what I do now doesn't affect what other people do in the future. But if I knew the true cost of what I was consuming, I could make those decisions. And right now I don't. No one does. And it's really, really disappointing.
0: And I, I know. And I think what you have touched on sometimes what we see is out of sight, out of mind. We don't know how it's mined. We don't know the impact that it's having, we might see it on the news one day and then the next day there's another news story so we can forget about the one that was yesterday and yeah. we're back on to our day. So I think if you can bring, you know, like you say, the social environmental impact and cost into decision-making, then you will have better businesses and better consumers at the end yeah. of the day. Well, that would be the aim anyway, which is amazing to hear that you guys are really trying to push for that through the research and ultimately educate future generations, but also support businesses. So before we wrap up, I just want to quickly ask you just to make the point about if I was a director of a business today and we're addressing ICT across the board in my company, what is the main recommendation? I know we touched on it before, but this podcast will go out to directors and as part of the IOD, and I want them to understand what they can really be doing today to make their business more environmentally friendly, but also reduce costs and and save money in in today's kind of
1: climate? I guess the number one thing for IT is understand what you've got and what it can do, and then plan your procurement appropriately on that. So if you've got assets, question why you're refreshing, question why you're buying new. And I would say the number one thing, consider refurbished or consider refurbishing in-house. Because that will save you a lot of money, a massive amount of carbon and all the associated stuff we've talked about, social cost that goes on it. If we can extend product lifecycle as a business, you will be better for it. You'll be more profitable and you'll be better environmentally. So consider refurbished or consider refurbishing yourself would be my two recommendations.
0: And I think that personally, I will be considering that because I won't be taking my computer apart because I'll be worried (laughs) worried I won't be able to get it back together until someone can actually teach me about what that is. But Rich, look, it's been amazing speaking today. Thank you very much for sharing all your insight into what TechBio are doing, what Interact are doing. So yeah, thank
1: you once again
0: for for joining me on this podcast.
1: Thanks for this, mate. Take care.
0: Another really interesting podcast. I've known Rich for a little while because their business is actually based in Harrogate, where I live. And... I've always found what Tech Buyer and Interact are doing incredibly interesting. And the fact that they're at the forefront of the industry makes it a story worth following. And there's a lot of insight that Rich has that can really help businesses. So if you are someone that is considering this or someone that wants to speak to Rich about it in more detail, I know he's always open to a conversation to try and help. If not, or you just want to have a conversation with myself, please feel free to reach me at ellis.ball at futurenetzero.com or get me on LinkedIn. And if not, we'll see you next time.